It's good to be here this morning and rejoicing on God's rest day, and I hope today that as we share some time together, you will be blessed as a result of what we talk about, okay? Have a little helper up here. Need all the help I can get. <laughs> I have three children myself, and by the way, that, that could lead me to a brief introduction. My name is Pastor Mark Swearingen. I'm from... Uh, Conover, North Carolina. I pastor in the Carolina Conference in the Hickory Church District there, the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Hickory. I'm married to Sarah, my wife of eight years. We have three children. We have a five-year-old daughter named Abigail, who is quite a handful. She's very intelligent, and she keeps us on our toes. We also have a three-year-old son named Jonathan, who is all boy. And we have an 18-month-old daughter, Samantha, who is the youngest and is uh, a real blessing to us. I want to say that I've really been blessed this past week being here, sharing with you all day after day, night after night, and, and I believe that the Lord has revisited me and I have recommitted my life in many ways as a result of us sharing together. And I hope that today as I talk about a subject called by faith or by sight, I hope that you will be blessed to commit and recommit your life as a result of what you hear today. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we pray this morning that you would bless us with power from on high. Lord, in this moment of time, as every heart and mind is quieted and hushed, we pray that you would accept our heartfelt surrender so that your spirit will bless us in a powerful way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians. I want to look at a few verses this morning. By faith or by sight? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 happens to say just that. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. The Apostle Paul says there in the seventh verse of 2 Corinthians 5, For we walk by faith and not by what? Sight. Have you ever thought about that? Now, when you look at the vein of 2 Corinthians 5, there are several different things that the Apostle brings in to this passage that we could address. But it's interesting to note there in verse 7, he talks about walking by faith and not by sight. Do we... As God's professed people, by the grace of God, walk by faith or do we walk by sight? Now, as you look at your life today and you examine your heart, ask yourself right now, do I really walk by faith or is my faith, quote unquote, dependent upon what I see? Now, it's true that God does give us visible evidences at times that we're in the right direction as far as our faith. But what we need to realize, brothers and sisters, is that true faith in its purest essence is not dependent upon what we see. It's dependent upon trusting in a power that cannot be seen. That's why Hebrews 11.27 finds the Apostle Paul talking about Moses saying, Moses endured the things of Egypt seeing him who is invisible because Moses walked by faith. And so I ask you the question, do you walk by faith or do you walk by sight? 
we must understand that true faith is not dependent upon what we see. You've heard the phrase, seeing is believing, right? I would suggest that it, we should invert that sentence to say, believing is seeing. So, Jesus tried to teach this as well. Let's turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Now, this is after the resurrection of Christ... Jesus has appeared to different believers, and, and different believers are spreading the word that He has risen, and some didn't believe, and one of those non-believers was Thomas. And in verse 24 of John 20, it says, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto Him, We have seen the Lord. But He said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Now notice what Jesus says there in verse 29. He says, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. But blessed are they that have what? Not seen and yet believe. You see, Jesus was trying to articulate here that there is a blessing upon those who believe and have faith without necessarily seeing. True faith is trusting that God is. As the scripture reading said in Hebrews 11 verse 6, you know, uh, without faith it's impossible to please God. We must believe that God is, even though we can't literally see God necessarily. We still have evidences of God and things that will spur the seed of faith in us that we can believe in the unseen God. And if we believe and pursue God by faith, God will reward us with spiritual blessings. So do you walk by faith this morning? Or do you walk by sight? Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, 24 and 25. Romans chapter 8, 24 and 25 is another good passage that brings out this point. Romans chapter 8, 24 and 25. The Apostle Paul says a very powerful, powerful message here. In verse 24 he says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? You see, Paul is saying, look, we're saved, we're saved by hope, but hope that you can see um, doesn't really breed faith. But we must hope and trust and have faith in something that we cannot see. 
Because then if we do, we with patience wait for it. And so, friends, we need to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. Years ago, after my wife and I were married, I was still on a contract basis in evangelism, meaning I wasn't a full salaried evangelist. I was down in the Florida conference. I was only paid on a, on a bi-meeting basis, and, in, and even so, it was about $375 a week. And I did four series a year for five weeks, so you do the math. I mean, it wasn't exactly rolling in money. And, and so basically, I depended upon getting more evangelistic meetings to sustain my wife and I. Well, in this particular year, about five different series of meetings fell through. We had one in the, in, in the, in the probably in January, February, then we had one in spring. We were scheduled to have one meeting in the summer and then two in the fall. Well, my summer meeting fell through. And, and as uh, March turned into April and, and the checkbook balance got lower and lower and lower and I knew that my next meeting wasn't until August or September, I said to the Lord one morning, Lord, we're not going to make it. We're just not going to make it, Lord. I mean, I've got to go five months with $200 in my checkbook. What am I going to do? And the Lord kept impressing me, walk by faith and not by sight. So that morning that I was talking to the Lord about this, I went out on a prayer walk, and and I just happened to walk out to the mailbox. And the whole trip to the mailbox, I was wrestling over this, and God kept impressing my mind, faith, trust in what you cannot see. True faith is trusting when there is no human way out. And so I went to the mailbox, and I said, okay, Lord, I'll trust you. And I grabbed the mail. I went back. Did you know in that stack of letters, there was a letter from a man down in South Florida who I had done a, you know, he had come to a meeting that I had done a year or two before then. Well, he got a settlement and God impressed him to send a love offering. And as I opened this envelope, there was a $2,000 check there. Now, that doesn't sound like, I mean, that might sound like a lot of money. I mean, I'm from the old school. I'm from southern Maine, okay? And so $2,000 is a lot of money for me. But over five months, you know, you do the math. What's that, $400 a month to live on? It was still kind of tight. But you know what? It sustained us until our next meeting. And then the Lord opened up another evangelistic series in the actual district of the church that I was baptized at. My younger sister came to the meetings and at the end of the meetings gave her heart to Jesus for the first time and got baptized. And then by the following January, the conference approached me and hired me as a full-time evangelist. And as that all unfolded over those subsequent months, the Lord began to impress me. You must realize that I've got your back. You should walk by faith because I will sustain you, but you've got to believe. Don't trust in your human perception. Walk by faith because faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things what? Not seen. And so I ask you this morning, again, are you walking by faith or are you walking by sight? True faith depends on the unseen and consists of an immovable belief in something that cannot necessarily be seen with the naked eye. And again, without this type of faith, it is impossible to trust and see the unseen God. We must learn to have faith in what we cannot see, namely the God of heaven. 
Now, I want to shift gears just for a moment. I want you to press pause on that. I want to take you into another vein of thinking just briefly so that I can articulate this thought and develop it a little bit more fully. And I'm going to give you my rendition of things based on what I've researched and prayed over as God has unfolded inspiration to my mind. When you look at the concept of an angel in the Bible, a lot of times we think of angels as angelic beings around the throne of God, right? We think of the cherubim and seraphim and so forth, the, the, the ministering spirits that, have sent, that are sent forth by God to minister to them that be the heirs of salvation, as Hebrews 1 talks about. But did you know that there are times also in the Bible when human beings are called angels, namely they are called messengers? In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it talks about John the Baptist foreshadowing the forerunner of Christ, and he's called the messenger. Behold, I will send my messenger. Well, did you know that that Hebrew word for messenger is an angel? It's translated angel. So there are times when people are called messengers or angels in the Bible. And going a step further, even Jesus himself is called an angel in the Bible. Because he's the angel of the covenant, so to speak. Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3 says the angel of the Lord descended upon the bush and the bush was on fire. And then of course Moses goes to the bush, he takes off his shoes because he's on holy ground. But later on out of the bush, I am, I am the great I am. Jesus was speaking to Moses from the bush. Called the angel of the Lord and then later on in John 8, 58, Jesus says before Abraham was, I am. So that was Christ as, quote-unquote, the angel of the Lord appearing to Moses. And there are many other examples. Jacob wrestling with the angel. Manoah, uh, when, when the announcement of the birth of his son was being brought to him, the angel of the Lord, Christ, came to him. All over the Bible, we see at times where Jesus appears as a, quote-unquote, angel. Now, I want to add a little caveat. That does not mean that Jesus is an angel by nature. He's fully God and fully the deity. But what we need to realize is that there are times when Jesus assumes a lesser form so that he can safely communicate with angelic beings and with fallen humanity. So there are times when he veils his glory by assuming a lesser form that can be endured by created intelligence. And so when we say that Jesus appears as an angel, we're not taking away from the divinity or deity of Christ. We, all we are saying is, is that he appears that way by assuming a lesser form. Now, here's a thought for you. I believe that in the beginning, when God created the angels, I believe that Jesus, to the sight, appeared like an angel as well. In other words, when the angels would look at him, he looked like he was one of them. And I personally believe that God calculated that to test the faith of the angels. Not that he wanted to trick them, but he wanted to test them. Because God said, this is my son, but maybe to the sight, he didn't look any different than them. But yet, he was the one being that was allowed into the sacred circle of the deity. And I can just imagine Lucifer beginning to question why, look, you know, this guy looks like me. 
He flies like me. He even talks. Uh, he might be head and shoulders taller than me, but he looks just like me. And yet he's allowed into the bosom of the Father. I don't understand this. And, and yet God, I'm sure, time and time again said, Look, don't walk by sight. Trust in what I say. This is my son. But you see, in the beginning, the angels, I believe, had the faith sight test. And Lucifer walks around, starting so, and he starts to sow seeds of revolt, and, and, and soon rebellion breaks out in heaven. And so finally, God has to summon all the angels together and reveal the true identity in a more fullest sense to the angels. Look, this is my son, and when he speaks, it's as if I am speaking. And so now you must decide whose side you're on, either Lucifer's or mine. You see, God gave them his word. And remember, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word. God gave them his word, and sure it was audible, it wasn't written, but there's really no difference. He said, are you going to trust what I say by faith, or are you going to go by what your senses and your sight tell you? And we know the story, one third of the angels fell with Satan. And they began to operate against God. But you know what was interesting about that is that when the controversy broke out in heaven and Satan and his evil angels were cast out, then the arena of the controversy shifted to planet Earth. And I believe that Adam and Eve faced the same test. Now, if you go to Genesis, go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, notice verse 6, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Now this is after Eve has dialogued with the serpent around the tree of knowledge, okay, and she has this forbidden fruit, and in verse 6 it says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Notice the sight. You see, friends, when God created this earth, as we heard in Sabbath school today, God made it very good. It was an incredible, incredible spectacle, I'm sure. And God created Adam and Eve as the mother and father of our race. The father and mother of our race. And Adam was made to be the representative of planet earth. And that dominion was given upon condition. Two trees in the midst of the garden. You know the story. Tree of life, tree of knowledge. All God said was, look, stay away from this one tree and you can retain your position. But yet one day, Adam, and a lot of times we blame Eve for this, but I'm wondering where the husband was protecting his wife, right? A lot of times we blame Eve, but you know, I'm kind of wondering why Adam wasn't, wasn't the protector of his wife like we husbands should be. But nevertheless, she finds herself wandering from her husband's side. She walks around the forbidden tree, and the serpent is slithering through the branches, and Satan, through that medium, begins his sophistry. Hey! Didn't God tell you you could eat of every tree? Well, we can eat of every tree, but just not this one. And then Satan developed his thought and said, you know what? 
You're not going to die. And he began to cast doubt upon God's word. And he rode the faith of Eve. And when she saw, when she viewed, when she held that fruit, she walked by sight and lost her faith. Now, when she ran to Adam and explained what had happened, Adam knew that she had encountered the fallen foe that God had educated them about, I'm sure. Eve was deceived, but you know, Adam knew exactly what was going on. And at that moment in time, Adam also had to make a decision as to whether or not he would walk by faith or sight. He looked at this woman, and let's use some sanctified imagination and be appro- without being inappropriate. Eve was the mother of our race, and she must have been incredibly beautiful. Adam must have loved her with all his soul. And as he knew that now she must be under the penalty of death because of transgressing God's commandment. He knew. His faith came into a crisis. He looked at her and said, I love you. You are beautiful. I can't live without you. I can't ever be separated from you. What am I going to do? Can God really supply your place? And see, the test came to Adam right then. And he, walking by sight and not by faith, chose to trust in his own senses. And suffer Eve's fate. And he bit the fruit. Plunging the entire race into sin. And friends, I believe. And there are many issues in this great controversy we find ourselves in. But I believe one central issue is the faith sight issue. Because God wants us to walk by faith. Now it's interesting to note that even though Adam and Eve fell... And their nature went from sinless to sinful and they began to pass on a sinful nature to their offspring. Even though the entire race was was doomed because of sin, Jesus stepped in. Jesus was prophesied to come and crush the head of the serpent. And what's interesting about that whole process is that Jesus passed over the same ground. Would he walk by faith or would he walk by sight? Now, if you'll jump down to Matthew, if you'll go with me to Matthew chapter 3, I want to show you something interesting that kind of struck me one day as I was pondering this subject. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, and we'll read down through the end of the chapter. Matthew 3, verse 13. And this is Jesus when he starts his public ministry. He started his public ministry. He goes to John the Baptist to be baptized. And it says in verse 13, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then... He suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Now here's an interesting point in verse 17. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now how does this apply? Here is Jesus going to receive baptism, okay? And after he comes up out of the water, 
God's word is spoken. You are my beloved son. I am well pleased with you. There is God's word. Now, it wasn't written. It was audible. But Jesus received God's word in confirmation that he was the son of God. Okay? Now, so he got God's word, right? And it's interesting that in the very next chapter, he gets driven into the wilderness of temptation. Now, in verse 1, it says of chapter 4, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a-hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Now, let me stop there for a second. Notice at the end of chapter 13, Jesus has God's word and he has faith. Because remember, even though Jesus was fully divine, he was still fully human. And in his faith walk, he must trust in divine power just like every other human being needs to. He used no advantage in his faith walk. And yes, there were times when his divinity flashed through. But it was never for his own faith walk. It was never for his own behalf. It was always for the benefit of others. But when it came to walking by faith, Jesus had to trust just like you and I. And in, at the end of verse 13, or, 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 verse, or chapter 3 there in verse 17, he had God's word that he was the son of God. But remember now, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And I'm sure that, that he wrestled through that fast that lasted nearly six weeks. And he probably, with some sanctified imagination, if you will, he probably didn't feel like the Son of God. That must have been an incredible time of wrestling for Jesus. And then all of a sudden this angel of light comes to, comes to him out of nowhere after 40 days and says, Look, your father is pleased with your fast. Your fast is over. You have conquered. And I'm sure Jesus may have been tempted to say, Oh, maybe this is an angel from heaven. But then he introduces the doubt. If thou be the Son of God, prove it. Prove you're the Son of God. Turn those stones to bread. And I'm sure that Satan waved some nice freshly baked bread right before Christ knows. Of course, I'm gleaning a little bit here. But can you imagine that temptation after almost six weeks without one ounce of food that, that Jesus must have been... That must have been an incredible temptation. Prove you the Son of God. Doubt God's word. Prove it. But what did Jesus do? Do you think he was tempted to walk by sight? Do you think he was tempted to go by his senses? But what did Jesus do? Jesus did not walk by sight. He walked by faith. And notice he quoted the word of God there in verse 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You see, Jesus walked by faith, and faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word. So Jesus had faith in the word of God to meet that temptation. When he was tempted not to trust the word of God, he chose to trust that word anyway. Now, in my mind's eye, I can imagine this. Satan, I'm sure, said, okay, you want to quote the Word of God? You want to use the Word of God? I'll quote the Word of God to you. Notice what it says in verse 5. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. You want to quote the word to me, Jesus? Throw yourself down. The psalmist says you won't even hit your foot against a rock. Angels will protect you. Prove it. 
Again, tempting Jesus to walk by sight. To prove his divinity instead of trusting in his Father. And in verse 7, thankfully Jesus saith unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. You see, Jesus chose not to trust his sight. He chose to walk by faith in God's word. Right? He didn't trust his senses. He trusted in faith. And I'm sure in my mind's eye I can see the devil saying, okay, you don't want to walk by your senses? You don't want to walk by sight? I'll overwhelm your senses and your sight. And notice in verse 8, again, the devil taketh them up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. So here Satan takes Jesus up to a high mountain and in panoramic vision flashes all the honor, glory, wealth, and power of the world right before his eyes and promises to give him that if he would simply bow the knee. Can you imagine what that must have done to Jesus' senses? I don't know about you, but if I was in that position, I would be extremely tempted. But thankfully, Jesus resisted the temptation to walk by sight. And he walked by faith. And then in verse 10, Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. You see, Jesus walked by faith. And in fact, Jesus walked by faith in God's word to such an extent that he lived, suffered, and died a conqueror of faith in God's word. That's why Jesus is called the author and the finisher of our faith. And the Bible teaches ever so clearly the concept of the faith of Jesus. You see, when we have faith in Christ, we receive his very same faith, which was a conquering faith. So I ask you, do you walk by sight or do you walk by faith? Think of Jesus on the cross. When his unity with the Father was being broken up. When the Godhead itself was was being broken up because Jesus became sin for a lost race. And can you imagine Jesus crying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I cannot see you. Where are you? But then Jesus said later on, it is finished. Into thine hands I commend my spirit. Even when Jesus could not see through the porthole of the grave. Even when he was entering what I call the black hole of the collective second death for a lost race. Even when his soul was being an offering for sin and his heart was about ready to explode. He walked by faith. Even though he could not see his own resurrection. Like Moses Blot me out of thy book, O Lord, if it means that they will be saved. Jesus was willing to never go into the grave and never, or or to go in the grave rather, and never come out if it meant that we would be saved. And he did it by faith, not by how he felt. And thankfully, the resurrection sealed the destruction of Satan. And the faith of Jesus was immortalized. Brothers and sisters, Jesus walked by faith. And we, in following his example, should learn to walk by faith and not by sight. We trust in our senses way too much, right? And the reason why 
um, we are so emotional today in many cases when it comes to our faith is because we have lost our vital godliness. And when vital godliness goes out the door, we start looking for, for feelings-based religious experiences to supply the lack. And that's why a lot of the music gets juiced up in our churches today because people are looking for an emotional religion and it's like an addiction. I need more and more and more and more to get the same feeling. And pretty soon we're bringing all kinds of things into the sanctuary of God that God would never approve of if we were honest with ourselves. But because we do not have the faith, we've allowed those things to come in. But the reality is is that God wants us not to, to base our religious experience on an ecstasy of feeling. Because there are times when our feelings will not match up with our faith. And if we base it on feeling, we may not feel like we're with God. And that could lead to a spiritual crisis. When in reality, we might be in the heart of God. And so we've got to learn to walk by faith, friends, and not by sight. Basing our faith on God's word and God's word alone. And not by sight or senses. And that's why Jesus warns us in Matthew 24. Look, if any man says here is Christ or lo there is Christ, don't even go. Because if you walk around that quote unquote tree of knowledge, you will be deceived because your senses will be overwhelmed if you presumptuously walk in the way of temptation. Jesus says don't even go because your senses will be affected. He wants us to walk by faith. There's a powerful statement in the book Great Controversy, which is a wonderful book on, uh, on the history of redemption and, and, and last day events as based on the Bible. And there's a statement on page 625 that says, Only those who have been diligent students of the Scriptures and who have received the love of the truth will be shielded from the powerful delusion that takes the world captive. By the Bible testimony, these will detect the deceiver in his disguise. To all the testing time will come. Are the people of God now so firmly established upon His Word that they would not yield to the evidence of their senses? Would they, in such a crisis, cling to the Bible and the Bible only? Amen! Brothers and sisters, God's Word is the basis of faith. Not our sight, not our senses. And yes, there will be times when God will give us visible evidences of our faith. That's true. And there are times when we will even feel emotionally in harmony with God. But, but that is not a final barometer, friends, because we must learn to trust in not how we feel, but we need to trust God's word by faith. You know, Revelation 3 verse 10 says, If thou keep the word of my patience, I will keep thee from the hour of temptation that shall come upon all the world. You see, it's about trusting in faith in God's word because deception will continue to escalate as we near the close of time. So we need to understand that faith is not based on feeling. It is an abiding principle based on supreme faith in what God says in his word that moves us to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. And so I ask you again, as I've asked you, are you walking by faith or are you walking by sight? Are you taking God at his word like the Roman centurion? Remember that man that went to Jesus, Lord, my, I believe it was his servant, if I'm not mistaken, said, you know, my servant, he's sick, he needs to be healed. And Jesus says, well, I'll go. And, and the centurion said, no, Lord, you don't even need to go. Just speak the word only. 
and my servant will be healed. You don't even need to go, Lord. I trust. Look, I'm a man of authority. I say, I give a command, my soldiers do it. I know you're the same way in spiritual matters. You just speak the word only, and I know it will come to pass. And then Jesus, when he saw this man's faith, he looked at his denominated body and said, you know what, I've I've not seen faith like this amongst the denominated body of God, the people of God. The professed people of God don't have faith like this this, uh, Gentile believer in Christ. You see, that's the kind of faith we had to take God, uh, we need rather, to take God at his word. You know, are we still a people of the book? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. I wonder how much time we really spend studying the word of God. Because if we do, friends, this word is, has creative power. It will create and strengthen faith within us. I know that I'm under conviction that I don't, I need to have more time in studying. Because when I first became a born-again Christian and a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, I was on fire and I studied hours a day. Of course, I wasn't married. I didn't have children. I didn't have all the demands on my time that I have now. But, you know, since then, I've noticed that, that I don't spend as much time and God is convicting me that I got to get back into the Word like I used to. Because the Word is what begets faith in our hearts. So are we walking by faith or are we walking by sight? You know, I told this story earlier this week, but probably a majority of you weren't there when I said this, but I was baptized as a born-again Seventh-day Adventist Christian in February of 1996. And about three months after I was baptized, my pastor came to me and he said, You know, Mark, he said, I feel like God's calling you into the ministry. Why don't you preach a sermon? At the time, he had two churches, and every other weekend he was at either church. And he said, I can't fill the pulpit at this particular church uh, this weekend. Why don't you preach a sermon? And I said, well, I'll pray about it. And I prayed about it, didn't feel any resistance. So I said, sign me up, pastor, I'll preach. And, And I felt like God had given me a message. Well, that Sabbath morning, I went to church, and I was so nervous, I didn't eat for two days, so my blood sugar was probably at zero, all right? But but nevertheless, I had stage fright. I couldn't even get up in front of a... I can remember having to give speeches in high school, and I couldn't even get up. My my forehead would sweat. I'd get lightheaded. My hands would get all clammy, and I would stumble over my words. I'm still very rough in the way I speak. I'm not very polished sometimes. But nevertheless, I, I, I sense like, okay, God, you know what, I need to, if, if you want me to preach, I'll preach. But I got so nervous, and, and what was interesting is when the church service started, I, uh, I was singing the uh, opening hymn, and I, and I started getting a little wheezy, and then I gave the opening prayer, and then by the, by the time I, I, I finished with the prayer and set the hymnal down, I had fainted on the stage in front of the whole church. I had actually passed out. I never actually preached my first sermon, all right? And you know what? I woke up through smelling salts in an ambulance, and it was a faith crisis. I mean, I, mean, I woke up, and my, my, my eyes were crying. I was, I was upset with God. I said, God, what are you doing to me? Why did you knock me down? I'll never be able to show my face in a church again, right? But you know what? God was asking me to walk by faith. And when I finally went to the hospital, I was in one of these quiet rooms. I, I, I was fortunate enough to have a room where I didn't share it with another patient. And so I'm in there, and a nurse came in and saw me crying. And praise God for the nurses with compassion. Amen? Right? But, uh, but this nurse came in. She never said a word. And to this day, I still wonder if it was an angel. But she just held my hand and just squeezed it. And I was, just, I was weeping because my pride had been just crushed. And I had time to reflect 
And the Lord impressed me of several things in my thoughts. You know, basically one, you know, you were going to get up there and be a junior Holy Spirit this morning. And uh, you got to realize, Paul, outside of the gates of Damascus, getting kicked off your high horse because you're arrogant. You need to realize that you cannot step in the desk of God and be arrogant. Because you are a very arrogant young man and you need to be humbled. Secondly, you need to practice good health practices because not eating for two days and having nothing in your system, being as nervous as you were, your system shut down. So uh, you know the health laws. Do them. And then thirdly, he told me, you don't understand this right now. But you will later and what a testimony it will be for people. So just walk by faith. And you know, seven months later, after going through Toastmasters and all this training to public speak and actually get up and not, not, you know, start to freak out from the pulpit, you know, I finally got the courage up and I preached my first sermon in January of 97 and then have been preaching ever since then. Learning to walk by faith and not by sight. You know, I have one final story for you to illustrate this faith or sight issue. A few years ago, this DVD came out. It's called The Conscientious Objector. Objector. It's by, about Desmond Doss. You know, many of you know that, right, about, about Desmond Doss. For those of you who don't know, Desmond Doss was a, was a, was a born-again Christian. He was a Seventh-day Adventist who, who basically joined the army during the World War II era, and he actually became a conscientious objector and, and uh, was actually sent into combat as a medic, and he rescued 70 or 80 people in this, in this highly dangerous situation on the island of Okinawa in the Pacific, and he actually got the Congressional Medal of Honor from President Truman. I mean, it's a powerful story about how he went through a Sabbath battle and a, and a health message battle in the army, and he just went through a real tough time, and, and God really blessed him and preserved him. And, and I always looked at him as a man of tremendous faith. Well, when we were down in Florida a few years ago, my wife and I um, discovered that, that the pastor at one of the churches where my wife's younger brother and sister went had bought all the youth that DVD to encourage them. And they lent it to us. And we watched it. And I was so blessed by that DVD. And I knew that I was going up to Southern uh, to, to do some summer courses. And, and I knew that Desmond Doss lived right outside of Chattanooga on Lookout Mountain in Rising Fawn, Georgia, which is about 45 minutes away from the Southern campus. And I thought to myself, you know, wouldn't it be a blessing if I could meet him? I mean, that would be tremendous. And then I can get him holding, because at the time we just had Abigail, our oldest daughter. We didn't have our other two children at that point. And I, and, I, and I thought, man, I'd love to get a picture of him holding Abigail. Wouldn't that be a blessing? And so I go to, to College Dale that summer, and one day I'm in this store called the Village Market right across from the campus, and I run into a friend. And she begins to tell me that that week at the place of employment, Desmond Doss was going to come to speak. Now let me back up just for a second. I want to I rewind to a few days before this. My wife had gone out of town to go visit her father, so I was at Southern by myself for a few days. And, and one night, I woke up probably 12 or 1, and I began to feel incredibly discouraged. Have you ever had those moments where you just feel really discouraged in spiritual things? Am I the only one? I hope not. I mean, there's a pretty big crowd here. How many of you have been discouraged before? Help me out, all right? All right. Every man must stand alone one day, right? But I was feeling incredibly discouraged, and I was burdened down. And these thoughts came into my mind. You know, Lord, when I came into the message, I was on fire. Uh, I was so consecrated, Lord, by your grace. And, and over time, I've compromised in some areas. 
My spiritual borders have shrunk. What was so sinful at one time isn't so sinful anymore. I've dabbled. And as a result, I feel like I've grieved you away somewhat, Lord, and, and I'm really discouraged right now, and I know it's my own choices that have caused this. And, and you know, I began to cry out to God in this, in this night season moment, friends, if you will, and I began to reach out and say, God, I've got to know, I preach, I've got to know, are you still with me? Because if you're not, I'll just die. That's how I felt. And I reached out after God that night, friends, I'm telling you, I really, really poured my soul out to God, begging for him to give me a sign. Show me something that I can see, Lord, right? Well, what was interesting, I felt that the Lord visited me that night, and he began to unfold some thoughts to me that resulted in this very sermon that you're hearing right now. Through developing this message, God began to teach me, look, you must learn to walk by faith. When you're in the cloud and you can't see the sunshine, you must trust. And yes, you've made some compromises. And yes, you've, you've hurt me in some areas. But you know what? I'm still striving with you. And, by, and if you will re-surrender your heart right now and, and purpose to get back to where I've called you to be, we'll take back those borders and go beyond. But you've got to learn to walk by faith and not trust in how you feel. And so that night, God gave me this experience. And what was interesting, because I had asked God for a sign, and he had given me the message as a sign. But being like Jonah, I said, look, Lord, I need another sign. Or like Gideon, Lord, just one more sign. Lord, I know you gave me one, but just one more. And the Lord spoke to my thoughts and said, O wicked generation seeketh after a sign. No sign shall be given thee except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Just repent. Right? So I said, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll take what I can get, you know. Now I'm fast forwarding to this encounter in this store. And I run into an old friend and she said, and, and I was talking to her about this DVD. Have you seen the DVD of Desmond Doss? Oh, Mark, yes, we have. And guess what? You're not going to believe this. I work at a... At a uh, a nursing home, and, and guess who's coming to speak this Thursday to the patients? Desmond Doss, yes. And I said to her, look, get me in his house this Sabbath. Set up an appointment. Talk to his wife. Talk to him. Let's, let's meet him. I've got to meet this brother. And, and she said, well, I'll call you Thursday night. And did you know she called me that night and she said, Mark, 5 o'clock Sabbath. We are there. We're going to drive up to his house. I'm going to bring my family. You can bring your wife and daughter. We get to meet the man. And that Sabbath, we drove up this winding hill. It seemed like a never-ending hill to get to the top of this mountain. But we went to Desmond Doss's house. And you know, when I walked into his house, it was like a museum. I mean, it was incredible. There were, there were plaques and newspaper articles and pictures. He had his picture taken with every president since Truman. And just, it was just like a historical museum. I was, just, I, was, I was spellbound walking up and down these halls because I'm a wannabe historian. I'm a wannabe you know, historian by, by, by trade here, by nature. And so I'm walking around and I'm just eating all this stuff up. I'm taking it all in. And what was interesting is I came to this one picture. And it showed an aircraft carrier deck. And there were all these, these older men on there with their medals of honor around their necks. And it happened to be a picture of all the surviving medal of honor winners. And Mr. Doss came up to me and he said to me, he said, son, you see that picture? That's a picture of all the living Medal of, Medal of Honor winners. But you know what? 
I'm not in that picture. You want to know why? And I said, why? And he said, because they had that meeting on Sabbath. And I was in church. I went to church. And then he directed me right across the hall to an article on the wall. Big article. DOS avoids or skips or whatever it was. Medal of Honor meeting to go to church as a Sabbath keeper. And there was a whole newspaper article about how he had missed that meeting because he felt like he wanted to be in church on the Sabbath. And I thought to myself, what a man of faith. What a man of faith. And of course, my daughter got on his lap. We finally settled her down and got some pictures. My wife got some pictures of he and I standing together with our arms around each other. And it was just a blessing, brothers and sisters, to meet this man of faith. And driving home, we had one of those quiet moments. You ever had a quiet moment for reflection? I mean, my wife and I and our daughter and then my friend and her husband and their two daughters were in our minivan. I mean, it was a full car, but yet it was one of those quiet moments where, where we, we were just kind of taking in what we had just been through. And I looked in the rearview mirror at my friend in the back and I said, you know what? I want to thank you for setting this up. My heart has been so blessed today. Oh, I'm so blessed. It's one of those high Sabbaths where I was riding the spiritual wave on the surfboard, if you will, and I was just so so blessed by that experience. And you know what she said to me in that rearview mirror? She said, see how much God loves you. See how much God loves you that he would give you the desires of your heart. And you know, when she said those words, my mind crystallized. And this thought came into my mind, there is your second sign, Jonah. Now walk by faith. Friends, we need to learn to have faith. We need to learn to trust in God by faith and not walk by sight. How about you this morning? Are you really walking by faith and learning to trust in a power outside of yourselves? Or are you still in control, walking by sight? You know, I've not made any altar calls this week, but I think this morning it's very appropriate that we make an appeal. And there are several categories of people in this room this morning, and I want to try to cover them all. Maybe some of you in this room have never ever chosen to walk by faith. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you have not exercised faith in Jesus. But the Bible says that God has given every man a measure of faith. Jesus says to us today, O ye of little faith, God hath dealt to every man a measure of faith. The just shall live by faith, for by grace are ye saved through faith. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Maybe you are contemplating a faith experience. Well, I want you, as God leads your heart right now, to exercise faith and come forward. There may be others of you out here who have backslidden, who have left the faith. You've gone headlong into the world, and God is calling you back to walk by faith. I would like you to come forward as well. And I'm going to pray in just a minute, and you can come forward. But there's also others of you that need to realize something as well. Maybe you are a professed Christian, 
Maybe you are a professed Seventh-day Adventist, but you have been walking by sight. You have not truly understood what it means to walk by faith. And you need to recommit your life and make a stand right now by coming forward and saying, I want to walk not by sight, I want to walk by faith. Well, I'd like to open up the altar to anyone in this room that may fall into this category. And as we pray together, if you could slide out of your seat and just come to the front, we will have a special season of prayer. So at this time, if God compels you, please come forward and we will kneel before the altar in faith and consecrate ourselves. Maybe there's some in here that need to make a decision to be baptized or rebaptized. also. I'd like to invite you to come and please fill that out on your blue restoration card as well so we can make sure that we minister to you in that area as well. I know it's not practical for everyone to kneel, but I'm going to go ahead and kneel up here. If you feel impressed, you can. If you want to remain standing, you can. But I'm going to go ahead and kneel and let's have a consecration prayer. Father in heaven, this morning, we truly want to have faith. Lord, I pray that as each person has come forward, that you would water and germinate the seed of faith inside of their hearts. May that seed grow strong. Help each one of us, dear Lord, to trust in faith even when we're in the darkest chapters of our lives, even when we feel discouraged and separated from you, Lord, help us to trust. And if there are areas in our lives that are not surrendered, that are causing these ill feelings or these ill convictions, Lord, help us to surrender them. But yet, even so, may we trust in faith. Lord, there may be some in this group that have never chosen to give their hearts to you. And if they have come forward, Lord, I pray that they will have faith and that you will convert them by the power of your Spirit so that they will walk by faith. Perhaps some have left you altogether and are coming back. Lord, rekindle that spark of faith inside of them. And for those of us who are professed Christians and who have really technically never left the faith, Lord, but yet have walked by sight, trusting in our own strength to be a Christian, Lord, help us to trash that perspective and learn to walk by faith in you so that we will have your faith. Lord, if there are some that need to commit to baptism or rebaptism, give them the faith to go through that commitment. If there are some that need to join to a Bible study group to learn to study the Word of God because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word, Lord, I pray that they would check that on their cards as well so that souls can be... uh, Assign to them, to minister to them, that they might study thy word and develop the faith of Jesus. Father, above all things, this morning we just thank you so much for being patient with us. 
And we pray right now that as we have heard and responded to this message, Lord, may our faith be strong. May we walk not by sight. May we walk by faith. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.